This show is brought to you by the North Face. Now, the North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Well, hi everybody, it's Lisa Tamati here and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. It's wonderful to have you back with us today. If you're a new listener, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate your time. And if you're a returning listener, it's awesome to have your loyalty. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, before we get underway, if I could be so cheeky as to ask you guys to do me a great favor and go onto iTunes and give us a rating and review and of course subscribe, share with your networks, all of that sort of good stuff really helps the show get exposure and uh, they, you know, these sort of shows live or die on, on the help that you guys give us. So really, really appreciate you doing that. And before I introduce my next wonderful guest, um, I wanted to take a second to just let you guys know that I've just signed a, another book deal for my third book and super pumped about this one. Um, it's, um, this one is going to be about, um, it's all mindset stuff, but it's taking, it's going on the journey with my mum. She, two years ago, many of you will know, had a, a massive aneurysm and was left with the severest of disabilities. And doctors said to her that, you know, it said to us that she would never ever recover. The brain damage was so severe um, and that she was too old um, to expect much of a recovery and to put her in a rest home and um, make her as comfortable as possible. And I'm never about being as comfortable as possible, and I'm always about. Um, I know what the human body and the mind is capable of and I absolutely, absolutely refuse to accept that situation. And so the last two years I've spent learning everything I possibly could and, and bringing her back from the brink of this disastrous situation. And so now a couple of years later, mum's back in action and she's doing everything again. And so we are just about to start writing on, on that book on chronicling her journey and I'm really, really excited. So uh, thanks for letting me indulge you with that little bit of story, but I'm going to be keeping you guys a little bit abreast as we go through that uh, book writing process on how we're going and letting you know what mum's up to at this stage. And we're about to go for a driver's license next week, so that's going to be a massive part of her comeback and her independence. Um, and it's a big finger to all those who told us that we couldn't do it, um, which is fantastic. Now, today on the show, I have a, a survival expert. Now, this man is an elite athlete. He's a health and performance and survival specialist. And I'm really, really excited to uh, talk to him today. He's 
living down south and he runs a number of courses and expeditions and, and, and does a lot of stuff online, mainly with, with guys, with guys teaching men how to be, how to thrive in this, this world of ours. Um, teaching a lot of the old school sort of survival stuff, but also how to survive in, in today's modern world. So welcome to the show, Ben Logan. Ben, thank you very much for taking the time today. Not at all. I'm glad we could get through our technical uh, <laughs> disabilities and um, yeah. yeah, get to webinars. Thank you for having me. It's nice. Yeah, no, it's been um, a bit of a mission. Ben and I have been struggling with Skype. Uh, as you guys will know, things don't always work as planned and, and probably uh, technical stuff isn't my or Ben's strong point, but we got there in the end. So, yeah. And so, yeah, firstly, congratulations with your mother. You know, this I hadn't heard that actually. I followed your work, but that's not something I'd heard. So, yeah, amazing story and something I think a lot of people will be able to relate to and take a lot of inspiration and and learn a lot from. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. it's yeah. it's been an incredible journey. And I tell you what, Ben, you you'll relate to this because uh, the whole. You know, you've been an elite athlete, but you're also a mindset expert, and that's exactly what you know I do too. And it, it, it's everything that you've learnt from those extreme undertakings that you can actually apply in real life situations. And that's sort of what sure. I want to get into with you today. Please, yeah, because um, you know, it, it it does apply. All this discipline that you bring to the table when your sport uh, really can help you in your you know your profession and your your family life and in every which way possible. Um, so Ben, let's start. Um, you know, start at the beginning. Who are you? Where did you come from? A little bit of your background, and, and how did you get into this sort of crazy stuff that you're doing? How much time we got? <laughs> the shortened version, <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> so I'm currently, well, I'm currently, I am 32 years of age. Uh, originally from Auckland, well, I was born in Tauranga, but moved to Auckland when I was relatively young with my mother. Um, grew up there, had a a somewhat normal childhood. Um, did a lot of sport, as most kids do when I was younger. And um, I went down the road of triathlon, I think, almost by mistake. I was doing running at a local Harriers club, and one of the coaches there suggested I perhaps gave a triathlon a go. So I went to the local secondary schools one and gave that a go and enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, that's sort of the start of the bandwagon for me, I guess, to sort of set the tone a little bit further a lot of what I do now, a lot of what I did with the sport was, I guess, through mistake. Um, I had a, <laughs> yep. You know, something a lot of people have these days is a lot of trauma from their childhood and growing up. And, you know, the more I work, go down this line of work, the more I hear other people's stories. And I guess, you know, mine was very similar to many others. I, my father left when I was two days old. I never met him. My mother married with a very abusive man. Mm. And um, just had a lot of undealt with, trauma I guess when I was growing up and I, I used the sport as a bit of an outlet to mm. release anger and I guess to build some confidence back and to I guess to use it as an identity Absolutely. which isn't, isn't yep. the best way to start a sport career I don't know I, pretty much everyone I interview has got something like like that sort of, of course, point of a backstory um, <laughs> We've, yeah. I mean I've definitely used sport as to as a a way out for me and a way through of you know, certainly. Um, so I get that. I get that. But um, and and I think it's a positive way to get through Absolutely. work through things. Yeah. For me personally, I was using it more of as a uh, negative way, I guess. But it wasn't something I realised till a lot later, when I was a little bit more mature. That frontal cortex had developed a bit more and a bit more mature and smarter man. Um, still a long way to go. <laughs> and <But>, we all. <laughs> um, 
but I, I realized things needed to be worked on, things needed to be fixed, and, and you can only run into a wall so many times before you either keep on doing it and go really downhill, or you sort of find ways to get through it and really improve yourself. And it normally comes as a, as a turning point, and I guess I hit that turning point. You know, I realized there were things I was doing within myself that weren't positive, within sport that weren't positive, um, and I just knew I wanted to be a better person across many different things. And I guess I got into nutrition. I wanted to I wanted to figure out different ways I could achieve sport in different angles. You know, I always thought there were there were ways that could increase performance, uh, increase recovery, uh, better gains. So I went down the road to, road to nutrition, and I guess that opened a new door for me. And I just started experimenting. I just started learning. I just started finding out different things. And I moved from Auckland down to Wanaka about six years ago. Wow, what a cool place to live. Nice. Yeah, it's an amazing place. Very very lucky. Very nice place to live. You know, it gives me all the things here that I want, you know, space, freedom, um, clarity to think, good people. Not that Auckland didn't have good people, of course. Um, but it was a good move for me. When I came down here, I actually got quite sick. When I was younger, I had quite a few head injuries, frontal lobe head injuries. Oh. Um, and I developed some seizures. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of once a month. And they sort of developed to once every perhaps six or seven a week. Yeah, wow. Um, and they diagnose it with epilepsy, and they think it might have been from some early childhood head trauma. But, you know, with a condition like that, there's so many variables, it's very hard to, you know, try and figure out what it is. So how, did, know, how do these seizures sort of uh, display themselves, or what sort of, you know, give me a picture? Epilepsy is quite, there's a lot of research still to do, and there's many different types of epilepsy. So there's some have full-on fits, there's some who just, I could be staring at you and not talk for 20 seconds, and that could be a seizure. For me personally, I just fell on the floor, had, had a mild um, mild shake, very tame, but uh, it would be anywhere from sort of 30 seconds to I think my longest was about five minutes. Wow, scary stuff. Yeah, it is. It is scary, and you know, it takes a while to break through and actually find out what it is. There's a lot of medical tests before getting to that, and you know, I was trying to race at that time doing iron distance events and having you know three to six seizures a week. It's, it's not the seizure that problem; it's the it's the recovery. And I, I sort of described it as like having a chronic hangover, yep. like, like worst hangover you can imagine. Wow! And you sort of train through that. Wow, uh, that's hard out. Yeah, it was, and I was getting to the point where I I, I needed to take time away from the sport to um, to to heal it basically because I was just hurting myself more. You know, I still enjoyed the sport. I enjoyed the new iron distance that I was doing, but I was just doing more damage than good. So, um, you know, I was, I, was, I was doing a lot of research. I was doing a lot of experimentation with, with health in general. Um, and I just went down a path of trying to figure out how I could sort of cure this. Um, so I sort of eased, eased up on the sport. It, you know, I wanted to step away from the sport for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. I think it was more of an identity thing that was hanging on to it rather yep. than passion. Totally get you. <laughs> totally. You know, you do it for so long, shit. What do I do now? Yeah, exactly. Who the hell am yeah, I if I'm, I'm not doing I'm that? Not losing that identity, I think, is quite scary in some ways. But I think very when much. you wrap your head around it and sort of replace it with something else, I think it's mm. quite empowering and, and very beneficial. Mm. So I, w- I worked through that process, which is a process in itself, which I'm sure you're aware of. Yep. I'm in the and, middle of it uh, still. <laughs> of course, absolutely. And so will I always. Um, and I just started working, you know, I needed to fix this thing. I heard other people had fixed it and it, you know, I just wasn't, like you said, I wasn't happy with what the doctors were saying. Of, you know, this is what it is. Here's some medication and monitor it, basically. That wasn't good enough for me. No. And standards, I guess I'd set myself. Um, so I did a lot of 
a lot of very deep uh, research, a lot of very deep experimentation, and you know, over time, I managed to pretty much reverse that cure, and I haven't. It's been about two years seizure-free now. Wow! Wow! So, um, yeah, no, I, worked, I developed a bit of a, well, quite an in-depth medical um, treatment plan, and it was it was quite funny actually. After I'd done that, and sort of got those, uh, you know, I sort of really managed to reverse it. Harvard Medical came out with a paper saying the exact same thing of what I've been doing. So that was quite that was quite satisfying too. Um, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, I can totally relate to that journey yeah. because, I mean, like with mum with her aneurysm and there was well, no path forward, you know, those, the, the brain damage so severe, et cetera. Um, and, and now, and I did exactly what you did, just went dive deep, 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 deep and researched everything there was in the whole world I could possibly find that would yeah. help her and came up with my own protocols, came up with my own. Absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, this, this sort of, that was very eye-opening for me. Uh, in many ways, you know, it was it was it was it was depressing and painful and horrible and limiting at times, and there was a, there was it was quite a bit of depression as well. Mm. Um, but you know, since then, it's just been a path of, you know, what can I achieve in this world? You know, sports-wise, myself, what's the best father I can be? Um, what's the best husband I can be? You know, how can I how can I from how can I learn from mistakes that I've made that other people have made? And how can I use it? You know, life is supposed to be enjoyed. It's supposed to be cherished. It's supposed to be lived with abundance. And when you look around, that's just not how we're living. Mm. You know, we live in a world of social media and it's, it's very easy to mask things and cover things up. But when you really look at the science and look at real in-depth case studies and talk to people, you find there's a lot of people living with trauma, a lot of people with sickness, illness, pain, um, a lot of mental health issues as well. A lot of mental health issues, you know, that low that low lying anxiety and depression. You know, it's 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 a chronic um, societal problem now. Absolutely, it is. It's it's, 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 a, it's an epidemic, I'd say. Yep, and and I I think you know part of that is a disconnect with nature, like that we are so disconnected from Absolutely. our our roots and how our ancestors lived and. Um, and and I, like I've always used the sport as, as, a, as a way to reconnect with nature, um, and I think that that, especially with our children, is is a huge, huge problem that they're not actually getting the rough and tumble of being up in the mountains, out in the sea, you know, fighting the elements, all of that sort of good stuff that really balances you out, you know. Of course, so I guess you know, very long story short, I went on a decade path of figuring out first-handedly, which I'm happy for now because I wouldn't be in the position I am without it. Mm. You know, it's, you can't, it's very hard to do some certain things unless you've experienced it, yep. regardless of how shit it might be. Yep. So like I said, a decade um, journey, if you want to call it that, of, you know, figuring out what I didn't want to become and what I didn't want to be like and sort of realizing how many other people are in the same position mm. and developing research and patterns and strategies to overcome it, I guess. And I guess what I do now is I, you know, first and foremost, because it starts with me, I can't, I can't promote the stuff and I can't work with people if I'm not doing it myself. Yep. So for me, like I said, I want to be the best husband, the best father. I want to be an incredible athlete, but I want to be balanced as well. <laughs> Tall order. <laughs> of course, of course. I, I, want to be, I, want to be, I want to be a great athlete, but at the same time, I want to be able to walk with my daughter when I'm 60 and not have, a, not have five hip replacements and three knee replacements. You know, so that comes back to the balance. Um, and I just get a real kick out of helping other men do the same thing. 
like you said, I primarily work with men. Mm. And a lot of, you know, I get asked about that quite a bit, you know, why don't you do that with women? And I do actually do quite a bit of work with women. But a lot of what we do is, you know, this isn't a this isn't a six week um, get fit course. This is a no. lifelong change. Yeah. And to do that, we really do delve into the male psyche. Yep. I totally male, get that. I totally get that. The male mindset, the male psychology, the male psyche, as opposed to the female psyche, is very different. Mm. In many ways, you know, a lot of the information we teach is very similar. You know, I'd say probably ninety percent of it is highly transferable between everyone. But you know, I really try and tailor the information to the individual, and you know, I'm only going to ever work. I'm only ever going to teach things that I feel I'm a true expert in. Yeah. Just woman's mindset, woman's psychology is just not something that you're an expert in. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I need to be. You know, I think there's no. people there's people doing a much better job that I could ever do. And I think you know we live in a world now where you've got to be an expert at everything. And I, I'm not. No. It's no. not something I feel the need to be or, or agree with. You know, stick to your strengths. And I think my strengths lie with connecting, connecting with men. And um, and there's a huge need for that. You know, like. I agree. I, I think it's so hard today. Um, you know, you have all these macho things that w- we grew up with, or you're, you're a generation after me, but, you know, we grew up with this tough male sort of role model, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger types, if you like. And then and that's slowly evolved over time, but then there's this disconnect now, I think, with who the hell am I? What is it that a man should be? How should I act? You know, a lot of dick measuring, let's be, you know, let's be blatantly honest, that is yeah. totally detrimental to actually having real relationships, having oh, real connections, having being responsible fathers and husbands. It's a lot to learn, you know? Yes, it, it is. You know, I think, first of all, we've got to understand how far off the path we've traveled. You know, I mean, think of it from this side. We're the only species that have come together to talk about what they should eat. <laughs> Or how they should act as an individual or whether a male elk or bison should do this or that or if their food has to be pasteurized or if the grass <laughs> they're eating can't be cooked over a certain temperature or have to be raw. And we're, we're the only animal who really – or species that really doesn't know what the fuck we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I mean, it, it really does demonstrate, you know, to do this properly, we need to understand how far off our path we'll become. And I think we've really, we've really detoured. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, what, what, what is a man? The majority of men don't know what that is. You know, the modern version is being successful, having a, a, a fancy car, um, mm. having money, mm. having a beautiful partner, having a house he can show off. Yep. And that's pretty much it. You know, that's where the penny drops and that's where it lies. But I think, you know, like I said, to do this properly, we need to delve into many different aspects. Um, and it takes time, and it's it's like I said, it's not a six week thing. It's a it's a lifelong change. It's a life commitment. It's a it's a it's a direction you take from here. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I I had recently a Dr. Paul Wood on my show. I don't know if you know of him. I do. Um, a wonderful, wonderful, amazing man. Um, and and he works a little bit in this area, and and slightly not so much in the survival sense of the word, but um, or in the outdoors so much. But he had a journey. Uh, he was in prison for a long time. For, yep. for murder when he was a young man, was molested, attacked this guy, long story, great interview. Um, but he works now and, and he educated himself, became a, a doctor in psychology and so on. And, and he, it's all about teaching men not to be, not to, uh, you know, react violently, not to, you know, out of, out of necess- you know, when it's not necessary and it's teaching yes. coping mechanisms and it's teaching the connection back to, to man, manhood. I mean, I'm, I, I can't 
you know, obviously I'm a woman and, and I uh, don't get all that, but I see it in my brothers and my father and my, my husband. You know, I see them even like struggling on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Uh, in the workplace, for example, you know. Um, yeah. My husband's in the fire brigade and, and, you know, he's struggling a little bit in the moment with, with he probably have a heart attack that I said that, but, um, yeah, you know, with uh, the alpha macho, thing when he's not like that you know and it's a it's a hard uh there's, there's um a lot of different elements a lot of a lot of things to take into account um yeah a lot of different things to take into account but it, you know just just start just 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 start and i think you know when you talk to as many men as i have and i don't say that to look how many men I've spoken to. I've just spoken to a lot of guys about this sort of stuff and there's some very common complaints and the the issues are pretty much overlapping. They're the exact same thing, you know, a lack of happiness, a lack of purpose is yep. the, probably the biggest one. You know, they just don't feel satisfied. A lot of low-lying depression and anxiety just don't know where they fit in is, you know, by far the biggest complaint. They just don't feel that they've got a purpose in this world. Mm. And, and that's a, so, so what sort of things do you do, Ben? What, what sort of a program do you have and what sort of uh, aspects do you look at when, when, when guys come to you and they – go through a course with you, what sort of things sure. do you work on? So we've got a men's expedition and we take groups of 10 guys away um, up into the mountains around Wanaka. Wow, how cool. We've got a, yeah, it is. It's nice. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's, 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 one on, it's, it's interactive. It's one-on-one to a certain extent and it's just nice to be out in the field actually doing this work. We do quite a bit online as well. So people who can't physically or financially make it here, we can sort of do it very easily online. But we do different aspects. So we have a mindset aspect. And again, a lot of it's just finding about how that person's feeling, who they are, what they want to do, what they want to achieve, and figuring out what's blocking that. You know, their, their individual circumstances, um, problems they've had in the past, working through that. And I sort of describe it like a house. You know, if you're going to build the Eiffel Tower, you can't just start slapping pieces of iron together. You've got to have an incredibly strong foundation. Mm. So someone might want to come into this and say, let's talk about nutrition. Well, nutrition is, uh, or a poor lack of nutrition is usually caused by other issues. Uh, as you well know, a lot yep. of other problems come from a lack of foundation. Mm. So, you know, I've always thought, and, you know, I learned this the hard way with my sport, is trying to put the icing on the cake without a really good foundation just never works. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we've got to figure out who they are, what they want to achieve, what's their purpose in this world. Because, you know, motivation is just a biochemical. It goes, it comes, and it goes. Mm. You know, having a purpose, having a reason to get up every single morning, do the same thing um, positively, that's that's having a purpose. Yep, and that's the you know, difference. For me, you know, a good example of that is me doing this work to get some money and become insta-famous and have a good body. You know, that's that's... <laughs> You know, you know that's that's what a lot of the people are in this for. My yeah. purpose is so I can be the best father I can. My purpose is so I can have the skills that if we have a natural disaster, yeah. my daughter doesn't have to look at me and think, I'm thirsty, why can't I have yeah. – you know, that's my purpose for doing this work. Yeah. Uh, that's the reason I get up every morning and research this, practice it, you know, actually walk the talk and work with other guys doing this. So you know, we do a lot of mindset work, and it's very individual and very in-depth, and it's very specific to that person. Uh, we do a lot of nutrition-based work. Now, nutrition's a funny one. It's You could talk to 100 different experts, and they'll give you 100 different um, nutrition protocols. Mm. So I do, a lot of, I do a lot of work with evolutionary or ancestral health or mm-hmm. evolutionary biology. And the idea of that is basically saying, look, we don't know 
no one knows what the perfect physical training program is or the best way to think or the best nutrition. Well, we just, we, we don't, we have no idea what that is. And I think it's arrogant to say as an individual, I know what that is. But the idea with ancestral health is looking back in a timeline of when as a species, as a population, we were healthiest, when we had the lowest uh, rates of heart disease, cardiovascular disease, cancers, and thinking, you know, what did we do, forming a model around that time. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of what we do with evolutionary biology is looking back to when as a species or as men, we were healthiest and finding out what we did, what we ate, you know, how we lived how we surround ourselves with other men. So that's a big part of nutrition as well. And there's a lot of science showing a lot of that sort of correlating data as well, which is nice. So that, is that sort of like going looking at the paleo diets and, and that type of thing? or It's a, a non-commercialized version of the paleolithic diet. Yeah. You know, there's paleo sugar, there's paleo gum, there's paleo powerballs. You know, so it's it's a it's a it's a uncommercialized, authentic version without of the, the label, without the label exactly. on it. Exactly. But exactly. what about the fact, like, um, um, something here I've been very interested in, obviously myself. Um, and I, I have asked myself, yeah, they might have been healthy, but actually, did they live over thirty years old back in the day? <laughs> That's a good question. That's probably the biggest sort of, you know, what about that? Like you just said, that gets brought up. Yeah. The. The mortality rate is taken with a few different examples. One was the child mortality rate, the infant, the birth mortality rate is taken into account. And we, we had a lot more, the, the mortality rate was a lot higher back then. Yeah. We didn't have modern medicine. No. Uh, we didn't have ways to keep children alive. But, you know, one thing, one, one, one could easily say, well, we're bringing forward uh, weak genes. You know, back then, back then, you had to be incredibly strong child to survive that birth, or you wouldn't survive. True that. Now, is that having an implication on um, on weakening our gene pool? Exactly. I mean, one could easily say that, Mm. and I'd I'd be one of those people. Um, But back then, we just didn't have modern medicine, and that's the beauty of modern medicine. We can take the the knowledge of the past and combine it with the beauty of now, the science we have now, Mm. create an incredibly good health system. Um, You know, we had much. Back then, if you got a chronic infection, you were pretty much effed. Yep. You know, nowadays we can go to the A&E and go on a drip for two hours and it's fixed. Yep. So I think health-wise, we were much healthier back then, much more robust, much more resilient. But we had a much, um, much harsher living conditions. Child mortality was a lot higher. And we just didn't have, you know, a, a, um, a broken leg was pretty much end of life. Yeah. Yeah, so we yeah, so that has to be reflected in the statistics Absolutely. that you're looking you know, at. We didn't have the modern technology. We didn't have the sorry, the modern um, healthcare, the modern science to fix what would be now um, midline injuries or illnesses. Yeah. So, but what? How do we like? If you look at um, oh, what am I trying to say? Are we weakening ourselves because we are now surrounded with comfortable houses and? You know, we're inside most of the time and we're sitting most of the time. Well, that's definitely a, a negative, um, you know, and we're not able to actually handle the, the cold and the, the the elements as they purely were. And now, you know, we, we've become very, very soft in a way, haven't we? So, you know, you know that all dogs come from wolves. Yes. So there's the Originally. Canis lupus, the grey wolf, Canis lupus. Then there's the Canis lupus familiaris, which is the domesticated dog. Mm-hmm. I would, I would. There's actually a joke between some people in this industry, and I, you know, I think it's quite funny. I think it's very true as well that we should be uh, named Homo sapien domesticofragilis instead of Homo <laughs> sapiens. And the reason for that is because we don't represent the true, the, the meaning of Homo sapiens. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the cornerstones of our work is building resilience because we have lost that on so many different scales. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a few, you know, but we do a lot of work with intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and that's basically the ability to uh, tap into you or burn ketone bodies. So, you mm-hmm. know, you become metabolically efficient as a measure of how well you burn fat as a fuel source. You know, the modern person now, if they go for more than two hours without food, they get the shakes, they get low blood sugar, they can't focus, the end of the world's happening. You know, from an evolution, evolutionary point of view, from a survival point of view, just being able to go without food, it is so empowering. You know, the ability to burn fat as a fuel source, and I'm sure, I'm not sure if you use that much with your ultra runner. Um, I've looked into it. I haven't personally yeah. done the keto diet, but a lot of our athletes have, and some yeah. some do well on it, and others not so much. I think sure. it's very much again, once again, your epigenetics, and you know, Absolutely. you know. So we're doing a lot of epigenetic stuff lately, and and, yeah. and we're finding yes, it works for some, not so much for others. Absolutely, you know, carb 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 tolerance is very individual, but mm. even just a carbohydrate appropriate diet, yeah. you know, just how to tra- make that transition between yeah, fat yeah. and carbs yeah. a lot more smoother and than quality, most. quality, quality carbs if you're going to have Absolutely. carbs. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot more slow releasing on a glycemic index than, yeah. you know, a power rate or a, a bar of some sort. But, you know, we do a lot of work with cold, for example, as well, a lot yeah. of cold training, yeah. which is very interesting, you know, because, you, again, look at back through our evolutionary timeline. If we were cold, we had three options. We had fire. We had shelter. And we had animal skin. If we were skilled enough, strong enough, and smart enough to actually source that. Yeah. You know, nowadays, what's what do we do if we get cold? We put a jacket on. Yep. We put the fire on. Yep. If we get too cold, we take it off. If we get too hot, sorry, we take it off. Or look for the air conditioning. Our our um our balance between our thermoregulatory discomfort is very limited. That scale that we have between hot and cold and the yep. discomfort level, very very small. Um, so a lot of what we do is a lot of work with heat shock, a lot of sauna work. Uh-huh. Um, but also a lot with cold as well. We do a lot of ice water training, sort of cold thermogenesis. And the benefits are just profound. Are they? Absolutely yep. profound. Um, again, just from a health point of view, from a mindset point of view, from a survival point of view, it just, you know, that's what our, that's what our genes expect of us, is to be stressed. It's to be, and yeah, do, made uncomfortable. Do, absolutely. We do a lot of work with, so, you know, there's, there's two types of stress. There's one called chronic stress. And mm-hmm. There's one called medic stress. Chronic stress is waking up at five to sit in traffic for an hour in the city, to go to a job that you hate, to have a smoke at lunchtime, to be in a bad relationship, and to have some very bad nutritional habits to sort of balance that out or give some chemical release to enjoy your existence. Yeah. Um, You (laughs) You put it in a nutshell. That's so true. (laughs) That's the bulk of the population. Hormetic stress is something a bit different. Hormetic stress is a stressor on your physiology or biology that in small doses is very beneficial, mm-hmm. but in large doses is very damaging. So herbalism is a good example of this. So take a dandelion root tincture or the medicine from dandelion. If you have an appropriate amount of that, it's very tonic on the liver. Mm-hmm. It's very beneficial. If you have a huge amount of that, it's, very po- it's actually quite poisonous. Now, the same could be said for running. If you're used to running 15K, that's kind of your buffer. That's where you can get to before you start to get tired. If you push it out to 17K, that'll be a, a hormetic stress. Mm-hmm. If you push it out to 40K, you'd be fucked. You yeah. know, you'd do some trauma, you'd do some damage. You, you would be off running for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, so we evolved under periods of stress, hormetic stress. So we had to fast and feast. You know, we'd catch an animal yep. and would feast. Then we'd go without food for four, four days to even two weeks. Wow. That'd be that'd be a stress. Yeah. Um, you know, would get hot, would be comfortable at certain times, and then we would certain times throughout the year would be very cold. You know, so that's a stress. If it was cold the whole year round, we'd probably die. But you know, a couple of months here, a week there, we we can endure through that. 
Um, you know, same with physical training. You know, we have to wake up and chase animals. Mm. You know, that's stress exactly. You know, so that's it's not just a requirement. That's what our genes expect of us. Mm. And so the disconnect comes when we are not listening or not taking heed of our ancestor or where we've come from and our uh, our genes and how they're made. And um, I, I think that's one of the reasons you know, I'm always into in, interested into ultramarathon running. Why are there so many people doing this crazy stuff? Why did I want to do it? Where did the need come from to push myself to those sort of extremes in, in heat and cold? And of course. Um, and, and I think the need comes from a very um, primal place. Absolutely. Yeah, in, in this area, there's a lot of words like rewilding or paleo. And I don't enjoy attaching myself to that because I think it gives a bit of a a bit of a hippie I don't want to say hippie but a bit of a mm, a label a, a label and so for example one of the biggest or the, the biggest issue by far that I think people have struck with trying to find out like I said we're the only animals who don't know what to eat the biggest reason for that I think is you know humans were very we're incredibly clever you know, this this frontal cortex, this brain we have, we're incredibly clever, and that's what's differentiated ourselves from every other species on the planet, basically. Mm. Now, one of the biggest problems that has is humans are the only animal, pretty much, that has the ability to believe in fictional stories. Now, what I mean by that is, if you go to my dog, uh, my Alaskan Malamute, and give him a bone, if you give him a big bone, and you'll say, give that back, and I'll give you two later. That means nothing to him. No, if no. you explain to a bunch of chimpanzees that if when they pass, when they, when they die, they'll go to heaven and they'll get all the mating partners and bananas they want. Like every, every animal believes in, in, in performance and survival. How can they survive and how can they perform at their best so they can bring forward child? You know, humans, we have this ability to believe in fictional stories. Now, this, you know, the idea of school, it's beneficial, but it's a fictional story. The idea of border patrol, it's a fictional story. The idea of um, the All Blacks having Powerade, you know, that's a fictional story. <laughs> everything in our life is based around fictional stories, basically. Yeah. Yep. You know, literally everything we do, and it's not until you really understand that that um that context that you can actually sit back and think, yeah, shit, pretty much all I do, you know, the idea of working nine to five, breakfast at eight, you have your cereal at eight, and, and you have snack, and you have lunch. It's a made up. It's, it's a, made a cultural. Up. It's a cultural set of rules that we all live exactly. by. Exactly. You know, but that's that's not what is natural to our biology. Mm. Absolutely. You know, and the same is if, if um, we, we have a rule book, basically, we have a blueprint that the human genome is designed to run off. And fictional stories, basically, over the last 100 years have completely changed how we think, how the human body operates. So I think, you know, a big part of what we do in our research, our science is looking back and thinking, shit, you know, what are humans designed to do? What are men designed to do with their day? How are we supposed to think? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to interact with other men? Now, how you know we're supposed to have a tribe? We're supposed to live with certain people who bring out the best in us, who challenge us. Um, you know, so I think a big part of and one of the biggest f ups has been sort of how was the human body designed to work? And how is the human genome? How how are genetics supposed to be expressed? Basically, you know, you spoke about epi epigenetics mm. um, and modern. You know, the modern idea of physical training, nutrition, healthcare has um, is not serving us well. And it's pretty evident. You know, the onus is not on me to prove this. The onus is on the others to prove this because as a society, we're getting sicker. We're getting mentally, physically. Yep. Uh, we're becoming less resilient. We break down so much easier. Yep. And we're not happy. 
Yeah, and obesity it's, it's, and cardio disease. Uh, it's yeah. it's, it's an absolute epidemic. Yeah. And so, the, like I said, the onus is not on me to prove this. The onus is on the others saying this is how we're supposed to live because clearly we're doing something wrong. Yeah. Clearly there are things missing out of that link. Um, and like I said, going back to not ancestral health but evolutionary biology, it's looking back to when as a tribe we were healthiest, happiest, more, most resilient. Um, you know, d- depression was at its lowest. Anxiety was was not even a thing. But how do you measure that? Like you know, we you know because we we can't go back there, and we've got it as, as accounts. You know, how do we know that they weren't miserable back in the I don't know the Red Indians in America and when they were tribal or the Maori? Uh, back 100, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. How do we no, know? There is good research um, graphing that, showing yeah. statistics of that. Um, and there were reports probably about 100 years ago that have been able to be captured of talking to elders in these villages, these tribes, and finding out how they operated, how they lived, you know, what their what their, what their their um, culture was like and, you know, the health, the happiness, the resilience of people. And, you know, that has that information has been kept and been able to be brought forward to now, I guess. So combining that with research, I think, is the best way to... Get a snapshot, uh, at least, of... of look how... back into our past. Exactly, take a snapshot. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, you could see uh, in the, say, last 100 years, I mean, 150 years ago, we didn't have planes, cars, you know, barely exactly. had horses and so on, and we... we you know, I've always said that we were born to run, that we were born to be pedestrians, be on foot everywhere. And then we're, not, we're, we're nomadic travellers. Yeah. And then that, when we take that away, that's one of the reasons I think we love to run, you know, like, but only when you're in that cycle of doing that. It's, it's horrible when you don't, you know, like starting so a, a I think the best program. example is cold water. You know, that people might see me in a, you know, a frozen river, for example, I've had to punch my way through the ice. Um, <laughs> and they say that that is the most horrible thing I've ever seen. And, you yeah. know, so is running for the first time. If you if you take three months off running, then you start back. It is the shittest experience you'll yeah. ever have. <laughs> but, but give yourself, give yourself um, six weeks, two months, you know, yeah. three months. Yeah, you're going, to be a, you're going to be a lot more adapted to that task. You're going to challenge yourself, and you're going to find pleasure in the discomfort of what you're doing. Yeah. And this is the same with the, all of these hormetic stresses that we're promoting and talking about here. So what do you say to people like, you know, I've always been criticized. You must have, you must be masochistic. You've got tendencies. You've obviously got some issues. Probably agree with that one. But, um, you know, you've got masochistic tendencies because you want to push yourself to very painful places. What do you say to that? Um, I say... Um, success is on the other side of hard work. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, I, and it's not I all a party. We're not just here to party, are we? To be honest, I don't even really answer that question because if I'm answering that question, I'm talking to someone pretty fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I choose who I hang out with. Like, you know, you know, I think just you know, humans are supposed to be stressed. Humans are supposed to go through hardship because that's that's where we get reward. Not all the time. And again, that's the difference between hormetic stress and chronic stress. Yeah. Chronic stress yeah. is doing that every single day. And do you, what do you say, like, because I'm uh, very much studying at the moment adrenal exhaustion and fatigue and, and, and have been facing that myself in the last couple of years with different knock-on effects from pushing the body too hard, going yep. too far, ending up with some major problems like kidney damage and, and so on. Absolutely. And and I'm seeing a lot of our athletes coming through our doors that we, we coach at Running Hot Coaching 
uh, with the same set of symptoms or you're very similar. You know, they've all got this adrenal burnout. They're depressed. They're, they're mentally think they have to be doing more, more, more. And we're in the social media age where you see everybody doing everything all the time. And it's all that's, that's an amazing question. And um, I think it's something will hopefully will be one of the biggest talking points or taking points from this talk. Um, you know, every, everything evolves, everything evolves and keeps on evolving. I did a talk at the Mountain Film Festival uh, last year in Wanaka about the evolution of outdoor mountain sports. And it's a film festival about capturing extreme outdoor events. You know, so back, you know, when did Sir, Sir Edmund Hillary climb Everest? What year was 1953, it? 1953, I think. Thank yeah. you. How many people do it now? What? Hundreds. Hundreds. Of, hundreds. hundreds. Yep. Thousands. You know, yep. You know, and I, I said in that talk, you know, someone's got to ask, is doing these outdoor events, are they, is that natural to the body? Is is jumping off a, a cliff with a wingsuit, is that natural? You know, but it's a film festival and they've got to keep evolving it to get to win the win the, win the films. Yeah. Like you said, social media, you've got to do more more posts, better oh, posts, yep. Um, yep. different videography. You've got to get aerial drone footage these days. You've got to have a pretty much a professional videographer uh, and photographer with you at all times. You it's know, the bane of the, my life. The, that's the level of what it is. Yeah. Luckily, my wife is an extremely good photographer and videographer. So, oh, you're you know, lucky. We, yeah. So it's easy for us to capture that because she enjoys doing it. We're always out doing these things anyway. But I guess what I'm saying is everything is evolving. And the, the idea of what you need to do to be a professional athlete and just keep on pushing the limits of physical endurance, at some point, it's going to bite you one in the ass. Yeah. Um, and again, how are humans – you know, that, that's the million-dollar question – how, what is the best athlete you can be and how to do that? And Without breaking yourself. Exactly. Because, you know, yeah. one of the things that I am concerned of, like I've done lots of extreme stuff over the years and I'm paying a price for that now. You know, like it hasn't been and I wasn't really aware that I could be actually doing damage. And now as a coach, I'm in a bit of a dichotomy. Like do I let, you know, like do I encourage that same extremeness in mm. others? Or do I say, well, yes, but with a note of caution here, and hey, let's build a really strong foundation, and uh, hey, you're, you're you're bordering on the limit of of exhaustion here, and mental exhaustion, and you need to pull back, and you know that's you're trying to walk this tightrope of of ambition against, you know, and you, and I don't want to go to someone and say, well, don't do it, because I know what it, what what it's brought to my life. But there's been a cost, you know. Also, you both. So okay. there's there's two there's two things I'll say there. One is, it doesn't actually matter how much training you do, but you've got to have the appropriate recovery strategies to combat that. To 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 have the adaptation effect, there's got to be the appropriate um, recovery response. So I don't think there's a limit to how much you can train, but if you're training at a higher limit than what your body can adapt to. Over, over over a grand scale of time, that is when problems occur. So yeah. that's the first thing. I think, like I said, that's, that's, that's the beauty of what we do is I don't think there is a limit to how much you can train, but providing that there's that physical uh, recovery response. I think like everybody needs to look at themselves individually. I mean, we've got a bucket of stress that we can cope with physically and mentally. And when we... Yeah, it is, it is highly individual, definitely. But yeah. I think also the goal is to get to 100%. Yeah. 100%. 
Now, let's fill up that. Let's try and fill up that bucket quickly. You know, how much do, how much does a lot of training fill? You know, is that 50%? Is that 40%? Is it 60%? As I don't far actually... as stress, is it like the total of amount course. of stress on the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's look at what else we can fill into that that currently isn't being used. So I think nutrition, for example, you know, that's let's look at let's look at let's make it specific to running. There's the carbs, there's the fat, there's the micro, sorry, the macronutrients. Yep. There's a little bit of focus on the uh, micronutrients, and that's pretty much it. You know, runners focus on the carbs, the fat, the protein, a little bit of veggies to get that in, have a green smoothie because they're too bloated through potatoes to actually eat a bunch of veggies. <laughs> um, but I think nutrition, there's going to be some frontiers of nutrition that I think that are really um, mind-blowing in the, in the next little while you know i've done a lot of work with herbalism in the past you know adaptogenic herbs mm-hmm. yep that through my experience are just um they provide a night and day difference really yeah there are there are some that are abused so deer velvet is one now for example that can be concentrated into a spray and the concentrate in what you get is actually uh can be picked up in doping test wow and a lot of a lot of um, NFL players have been caught using it in the past, and that's not what I'm promoting. I'm promoting you can you can use the the substance as a recovery as an androgen as an adaptogen as well, mm-hmm. um, at, at a safe legal limit. I think if people are listening to this and are going to go down the road of adaptogens, I would work and and check with it with WADA to see if it is legal because some of them are legal, some aren't. But I think even you know if you're not racing, you know these are natural substances that provide incredible benefits to recovery and longevity in the sport i did a bit of a post this morning on my social media you know the things like uh, ginseng siberian korean ginseng used for different times ash ashwagandha um astragalus tribulus which is Mm -hmm. another one horny goat weed um you know they're they're not they're not drugs they're they're natural substances of wild foods. So what is you know, an adaptogen, like, definition-wise? Give us a... Adaptogen um, is a substance that helps the body recover... Uh, sorry, helps the body adapt to psychological and physiological stress. Right. Now, yeah. there isn't much of a measure on how that actually works, but I've used it many times, and I've, I've checked for the placebo effect because there's times that I've taken it, and I'm like, this is not going to work, and I had no... not even any inkling that it would work, and I just felt phenomenal. And there were times when I expected it to work, and I felt phenomenal. You know, things like deer velvet, uh, pine pollen is another good one as well. Uh, very good with uh, boosting testosterone, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so I think there's certain elements with nutrition, especially with wild foods and stress-activated food compounds, that are going to be that are coming out of research papers that are going to be very um, popular within the sports uh, performance scene within the next five years. Yep, without them being doping, or bit you. Got to be absolutely so, yeah. so yes um you know, epo is epo is a concentrated version or a heightened version of what the body naturally produces yeah but it's all yeah it, it, you know and like i said so was the concentration of deer velvet into a spray capsule that you spray in your tongue and um, get an incredible amount of growth hormone and testosterone boost wow. um you know there are ways i mean i guess what is, what is doping We've gone off the topic a bit. Doping is a concentrated or legal version that others can't source, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of different... Yeah, um, outside of the limits of what would normally be. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, we're not looking to boost levels with these wild foods or these herbs that I just um, suggested. We're talking about ways that we can use them in microdoses or pulses to combat the stress that the body is going under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More so for a health point of view rather than a performance side of you i mean people look at health and physical training almost like they're two different beasts oh yeah you can't race if you're unhealthy i mean this you is know, one it, of the things that we're really big on is that building a healthy healthy athlete 
Of course. It's no, it's no use to me. I can get, you know, someone to their PB at their next marathon, but then they're blowing out for life. Of course. Or I you can know, have a healthy athlete. It takes us slightly longer to get there, and I have to reboot some systems. You know, to, to be a professional athlete, like we spoke about the evolution of professionalism these days, to be a professional athlete, you need to do a lot of running. You know, and I would say that's borderline on chronic stress. Mm -hmm. And again, that's absolutely fine if you've got the other parameters with sleep. Yeah, uh, you're not got a full-time job and three kids. And... To, to hold that up, you know, what is the limit, I guess, and it comes down to what are the parameters that are supporting that. Yeah, and if, yeah. like you know, herbalism, wild foods, nutrition. There are some very untapped areas into that that um, I think yeah. are going to be beneficial. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah definitely interested in, in learning more about that. And we're we're going down the path of very um, you know epigenetic testing, uh, health boosting, uh, yes. looking at. I mean, I've been getting a flip, bit of flack lately for talking about adrenal fatigue and adrenal exhaustion because apparently it doesn't exist according to some people. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, that, you know, nutrigenomics. <laughs> that's the there's epigenetics and there's nutrigenomics. That's the that's the effect of nutrition on the genome, basically. But you know, um, shit, we've gone off topic a bit, haven't we? Yeah. But that's, I'm sure we've been covering good stuff. But that's what's good. That's good. That's what I like about it. Yeah, you know, um, I I personally had a lot of illnesses from pushing the envelope too hard with sport. Yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. friends with some very good um, runners who will listen to this and know I'm talking about them specifically, but I'm not going to name names, <laughs> who are doing themselves a lot of damage, and they yeah. know it. But, um, yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's, well, this is I the thing. You, you have your, your ego and your ambition and your you want to achieve these goals. And you, I mean, I, I, you know, you grew up with the take a teaspoon of concrete and harden up school of, of thought, you know, just run harder if you're not you – know, and now, like, because I'm getting really old now, <laughs> I'm turning 50 this year, and I've had a lot of hormonal in, in problems in the last couple yes. of years where I've gone, oh, crap, I've actually done some damage here. Yeah. I've actually yeah. got problems in this area, this area, you know, and I've, I've, I've had some, um, like, with me, with tumors, and going, what the hell? Well, where has this come from, you know? Yeah. And then look, going backwards, trying to go back from the, the symptom, and the doctors are going, well, chop that bit out. Of and I'm going, well, that isn't the bloody answer because I need to know why did this happen and then going back three or four steps and working with some specialists and finding out, ah, this is where it's come from and it's the damage I've done them in 20 Absolutely. years ago. And the amount of runners or athletes, endurance athletes in particular, who get sick if someone sneezes the wrong way. Mm, because their immune and systems are struggling. The system is just compromised. It's under too much duress to be able to handle and operate functionally. But, you know, one other thing I want to add in is I think, you know, We've got to find a we've got to find a goal. The goal is not to do the most amount of running. The goal is to win a race, or the goal is to run a thirty-one minute ten k, or the goal is to run a certain time. That's mm. the, that's the goal, and that the result is, I think, the understanding of running being the only input that is specifically needed. You know, there's yes, so many other well. things that I think perhaps <laughs> you know you know just you know running less, focusing more on nutrition, Absolutely. you know, sleep aspect of it. You know, what, are, what other ways can we reduce stress but add in other less stressful things like nutrition that we yep. spoke about? And cost training, training, you know, recovery. strength training, mobility that's work. True. I mean, that's what our, like, we build a whole foundation based on these five Absolutely. pillars from mindset through to run training, of course, but mobility, strength, nutrition, supplementation. Absolutely. As our whole base to be able to work from, and we are totally against the old traditional high mileage models. They do not work. They yeah. work if you're 20. 
Absolutely. I've been there. So, yeah. you know, like I said, the goal is to get to 100%. Mm. Traditionally, or currently the model is let's let's do 60% of running and maybe 10% of everything else. Mm. You know, because 60% is all we can really do phys- physiologically. What if we cut that back to 40% or even 30%, made nutrition 20%, sleep for th- probably 40%, you know, other recovery aspects. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got incredible performance gains oh, and you're yeah. healthier, happier, um, athlete with a lot more longevity yeah exactly and that's that's a hard sell though to the to these overly ambitious you know great amazing people it's a cultural thing it's a cultural thing yeah yeah, it's a really hard thing i mean i'm i was you know brought up in that old school of thought too and i you know it's only now that i'm um you know come around to a completely different way of thinking um i was was trained with jack rolston for 15 years um not sure if you've met him or heard of him but he grew up under the lydia um oh yes yeah well that's yeah yeah. of course which which, you know it's got very good very very beneficial aspects to it but at the time it was at the time but i think that you know the the idea of um training has evolved oh absolutely and then coming back to a little bit uh, back on topic uh, with men's, uh, you know, you, you're doing these expeditions uh, twice a year. So if anybody's interested, they can get in contact you. Actually, where, whereabouts do they find you, Logan? So we do the men's expedition twice a season, not twice a year. Twice a season, okay. Um, yep. And then, you know, the, the beauty of down here is we have such a seasonal difference. You know, Auckland, for example, it gets warm and it rains a bit, and it gets cold, and it rains more. You know, that's the difference between summer and winter. Down here, we get, we get an incredibly beautiful different season, so we like to make the most of that. Um, so like I said, twice a season we head out for those, and we're looking at trying to do some overseas, actually, as well, on a bit grander scale, mm. possibly this year, if not next year. But I think the, the best place to find out more about what we do and our courses and just connect with us and follow us for information purposes is probably through our website, which mm. is loganlaw.co.nz and there it's got links to our Facebook and Instagram as well. Yeah, fantastic. And um, for guys, see, like you said, you do online courses as well uh, as your actual live events. Yep. So uh, people can actually do a lot. I mean, obviously you can't do the survival training online. but To be honest, we actually do an awful lot of it. A lot of this, um, we do a lot with the, the psychology survival, mm-hmm. talk a lot about preparedness, gear planning, um, situational awareness so we can actually cover a huge amount i think the, the actual the practical fundamentals of survival are quite easy to do mm-hmm. i think setting the tone for survival the need for it the importance for it and why you're actually doing it and then setting some of those foundational framework that we spoke about you know we can do via this just yeah. as easy as we can you know out, out in the out in the bush um so yeah we do a lot of like i said a lot of online based work and you can actually provide the tools to go away and do it practically by yourself and, and you're working with a doctor in Australia, I see on your website. Um, yeah, so we started with a company with a very, you know, my best friend, Dr. Greg Emerson, who's a, um integrative medical specialist, uh, very clever man, very, very clever man, uh, good friend, good mentor. Um, he comes over for a larger courses now with his clinic that he's got in Brisbane. He's originally from now, somebody now resides in Brisbane with his clinic and practice there. He's a bit too busy to come over for the smaller courses, so a larger expedition he'll come over for. But yeah, he's a good sounding board and contributes a lot with what we do. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and you've worked, um, like, who have you worked with in the past? Like, you know, um, I know you've worked with special forces and, and you've worked uh, with military and things. Um, and look, But is this for every, every the everyday man? Like, you know, it is. And what, the, executive? The beauty of what we do is everything we teach is highly transferable. Mm. 
So, and there's a scale as well. So nutrition, there's a scale. So for example, with military, we did quite a lot of work with resilience training and cold water training. They're put into stressful environmental uh, conditions sometimes, yeah, very hot at certain times and also very cold at certain times. And they've got to be able to function throughout that duress. So we did a lot of work with environmental conditioning to help, um, I guess, build that resilience that we spoke about. We also did a lot of work with them, for example, with metabolic efficiency training. So, for example, if they're out on a, with a platoon on a mission um, and they run out of food or they get trapped somewhere, the, the need for them to still function at a high level without food is very important. Yeah. And that's not something traditional military have ever really taken into account or focus a lot on. Um, a bit more focus is being put on it now, but it's still quite an unknown concept. And, you know, they found great benefit for that. So we can scale, we can scale it down. You know, we, we talk uh, – you know, every week I talk with guys who are just fathers who are just wanting to improve their nutrition. And we work with some quite high-end athletes as well, uh, like I said, and military as well, and all sorts, uh, adventurers, mountaineers, um, right down to basic guys just wanting to lose a bit of weight and just get a bit stronger. Yeah, yeah. So right, this, right this across is, the board. Like I said, this is, the, this is a journey as well. So, you know, we're all on this timeline somewhere. We're all on the scale of wanting to improve ourselves somewhere. And I think the best thing is just to get on board, just, just get on the wagon and, you know, find – the best information that's going to fit you best. And hopefully we can provide some of that and we just keep progressing. And over time we get to, you know, perhaps where I am or perhaps where other people are, but yeah, everything we teach is highly transferable and we can find a scale that fits everyone. Oh, that's brilliant. That's, that's, uh, that's the fun part of what we do. And that's what keeps it interesting for me is being able to work. And I think probably what keeps me on my toes and helps me become a better teacher and provider as well as working with different people in different areas, because it means I've got to use that knowledge differently. Yep. Yeah, and and you, you you you're challenging yourself all the time and exactly. experimenting, and it's not like you get to your destination, eh? As a coach, no. <laughs> I think you no. Know, to be a good um, teacher, I think there's three things. There's got to be the knowledge. The knowledge has got to be solid, very very good. And I think there's also the the way you teach it, how you actually become and how you teach your information is a big one as well. How you mm. connect with the person, how you provide examples, um, and also the strategy to actually go away and implement it. Yeah. Because there's yeah. no point having knowledge without strategy is just a waste of everyone's time. If you can't actually go away and use it, it's just a waste. Yep. So we do, we do a lot on actual practical strategies that the everyday person can, um, can implement their lifestyle. Exactly. All right. All right, Ben, uh, thank you so much for oh, spending a good hour with us today and, and sharing yeah. your insights. Um, if you um, – so people, if they want to get hold of Ben, they can go to Ben uh, – so loganlore.co.nz. And um, check out his courses. Um, email you well, through the site then. Yeah, we have links for all our uh, contact and also social media on there. All right, yeah. Anything so, else, yeah. any parting words there, Ben, that you want to share? Um, just, you know, like I said at the start, life is to be enjoyed and live with abundance and happiness and you know, robustness, not uh, weak and unhappy. So, you know, find find a motivation, find a purpose, and just get on the horse and just, um, you know, you're not going to get there in a day, but just, you know, life is to be enjoyed and do whatever you can to get there. Yeah, and if you're feeling broken and worn out, find someone to pick yourself, you know, to help you back out of the, the dark tunnel. <laughs> Great things can happen. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate your expertise and your knowledge. And, um, yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Look forward to it. Okay, mate. Take care.
That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.